0: Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn over to Luke. We're going to be in chapter 16 again, and uh, we had a great uh, reminder last week of a few things. Um, before we kind of recap that, we've been taking a study, if you are a guest with us, taking a study, a journey through scripture, uh, through the book of Luke, and answering the question, the question that Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And the reason why he asked them that is because he had asked them before, the The previous question was, who do men say to th- that I am? And they said, hey, they think that you're a prophet, they think that you're someone come back from the dead, possibly, And Jesus was interested in who they thought he was because they were his followers and he wanted to be their everything And so again, we've been taking this journey through scripture taking a journey with Jesus To either come to know him if you don't already have a relationship with him Or if you have a relationship with him come to know him better And so that's why we're taking this journey and we've learned so many different things we've crossed very uh, Several many uh, several different uh, topics and and last week we were talking about a very sensitive issue, uh, the issue of money. And it's a larger picture than just money. Uh, but a lot of times when people, unfortunately, because the, misabuse, uh, the misuse and the abuse of churches and money today, a lot of people think, uh, well, that's what churches are about. I, I promise you this, this church is not all about money. Um, we live in a world that has commerce, and so, yes, we have to have money uh, to pay for these bills, the air conditioner that's blowing right now. Uh, do different things like that not only that to print the materials the tracks and and uh, do the different works that we have yes it it takes money in this world to operate but i promise you this this church is about reaching the lost and then teaching those who are one to follow jesus christ we're about the great commission and that's what we desire to do that's our passion uh, and so that that's what it's about for us however in this world of commerce when because we have to deal with money because we have to pay bills and and go to work to get the money to pay the bills and buy the food it's easy for us to slip into that that rut if you will that our life is all about money and we begin to serve money begin to live for money live for our job live for the stuff we buy live for all that thing all those things Being in the course of this world and so it's hard uh... to make sure that we have the right perspective on money, Even if we're following Jesus Christ, it's hard to maintain that right heart, that right perspective towards money and stuff and our jobs and, and all the things that we, we have in this world. And so last week, Jesus was, uh, we were in this journey, and Jesus uh, came to the part where he was teaching about money. And some of the things that we saw was, point number one, was we will all give an account of what we've been entrusted with. It's not just the financial things. It's also our family. It's our health it's our freedom. All those things will give an account. Number two was we must all manage worldly wealth wisely. And that's vital. It's important that we're either going to manage wealth or wealth is going to manage us. And again, I think so many today are being managed or governed by money or their stuff or their things versus them managing or governing the things that they have. And uh, it's seen in how our lives are lived, the des- decisions we make. And so that's So important for us to get that, which led into the third point, which is this. We can only have one God. Jesus, at this point now, has said this statement two times. He says, you cannot serve God and money. You can't serve God and money. And I've shared this so many times with our church, but he could have used anything. You can't serve God and yourself. You can't serve God and the world. You can't serve God and uh, your health. You can't serve God and food. You can't serve... He could have said anything. But he said, you can't serve God and money. And again, as God, he knew that that was going to be the greatest enticement for man, I believe, in this world that operates on commerce. Because from the time that sin was introduced, man had to labor for his his food, labor in his job to provide for his family. And doing that all day long is very easy for us to get consumed in that. And then the fruit that comes from that labor, the money, the, the, the resources, all those things, it's hard for us not to, to be consumed with that and worry about that and live for that because, by the way, that's how our life operates in this world. But that's what Jesus was saying. You can't serve both. You can either trust those things, that, those temporal riches that you gain in this world, or you can trust me, the eternal God. And that's, where you have, that's the decision you have to make in your life. Are you going to trust me, regardless of what you have or what you don't have, are you going to trust the things that are temporal in this world that will one day perish? And so that's why he said that. And then he goes on and even in, in that Matthew chapter 6. And when we we're looking at that, in chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 33, he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all those things, the things he said don't worry about in this world, will be added unto you. He, if he takes care, of the, uh, takes care of the sparrows and he knows when one falls to the ground, be sure that God's going to take care of you those who he came to this earth to die for, uh, to give salvation. So again, uh, so important, vital points. One of the things that we talked about was the fact that if we can't honor God with unrighteous mammon, with unrighteous money, the, 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 the money, when I say unrighteous, means just the, the money of this world. If we can't honor God with that, and we can't steward it rightly, then God is not going to be able to trust us with more. Not, not specifically talking more money, it is talking about that, but he went on to say even more importantly, the true riches, the spiritual things. Sometimes in our lives, we, we say we have this disconnect between uh, the, the, the temporal and the spiritual. And God says, listen, it's all about the spiritual. And so everything that you have to do temporal is supposed to be connected to the spiritual. So here's how it goes. Many times we think, man, so if I am, am going to be faithful to God with my money and, and, and the temporal things, then God in turn is going to give me more money. That's not always how it works. When, when God is the ruler of our lives, and we say, you know what, God, you own everything in my life, you've blessed me with everything, I wanna honor you first with everything. And I wanna rightly steward what you've blessed me with. And when we honor God with those things that are even in this world, money, our health, our, 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 our time, our talents, our families, our jobs, we honor God with those things, sometimes God gives to us the spiritual riches, the blessings in the spiritual realm That nothing in this world or no one in this world can give to us. Only God can give to us. And so sometimes people say, I just want to be closer to God. I want to do more for God. I I I want to be more effective for the kingdom of God. But they're not stewarding or they're not honoring God. Even with the, the smallest things in this world like unrighteous manhood. They're not able to honor God, and so they said, God, enlarge my ministry. God, bless bless me with, I want to grow more in my spiritual walk, but they're not being faithful and honoring God with the things that are temporal. So God, Jesus says, how how can I, how can you be entrusted? How can you be, how can I give you more in the true riches, the spiritual, the eternal things? If you're not faithful, even in the temporal things, the, the things of this world, and so uh, again, a very important lesson, very important points that we saw, but we move, for, move forward in, in our study this week, some more important things that we're going to see, and uh, I hope that you'll take the notes, you got them there in your bulletins, and uh, we'll, that we'll all take them with us. So let's pray and we'll get into this. Father, thank you for this time, thank you again for the opportunity uh, to gather in your name. Thank you for the, the, the blessings we've already experienced so far, uh, being able to worship you through song and music. Lord, thank you so much for the blessings I've been able to give to you. Uh, a portion uh, of the the money that you've blessed us with, Lord. Uh, We we know, and you know our hearts here at Trinity Baptist Temple. Lord, we honestly want to honor you and accomplish your will. We want to do your work, and um, Lord, help us uh, to do that uh, in great ways, to accomplish what you want us to accomplish. And as we move forward in our study this morning, teach us, Lord. uh, Use me as a vessel. Show us what we need to hear. reveal to us what we need uh, to see and I pray that you'd be glorified through it all and God if there's someone here this morning that's lost if they were to leave this place and they didn't they don't know where they're going to spend eternity or they're unsure about that I pray that they wouldn't leave like that I pray they would ask someone I pray they would come uh, during the time the invitations open and they would say I want to know that I'm going to heaven when I die I don't want to chance it. I, I, I don't want to go to hell. I want, I want to go to heaven. What do I need to do? I pray that you would move on the hearts of those that are like that. And again, move in all of our lives today to accomplish your will. And we'll praise you for it, God. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We Left off with uh, verse 14 and 15. And I, I briefly mentioned it um, last, last week. We touched on it a little bit because it was uh, a part of the point of the, where the Pharisees were. And so uh, I want to look at those again and verse 14 it says the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things and they derided him now again the the Pharisees already had a problem with with Jesus they already had made it clear they were trying to trap him not only that but here is this poor carpenter and in their mind trying to be this teacher telling them how to deal with their money or how to steward their money And so the Bible says that they ridiculed him. Uh, Again, these guys were, uh, they were dressed in their, their, uh, their, their Pharisaic garb and, and, and they were respected and esteemed and, and, and in their lives they were all about money. Now they made it sound religious, they, they made it sound really good, but they were all about getting for themselves and gaining for themselves. Jesus already talked about that and he'll talk about it more. And so here they are coming from this place of it's, it, it'd be like today in, in our society uh, someone who does really well, has got a great business, has a lot of money, and then somebody who comes along who doesn't have much money at all, uh, but is just trying to live for the Lord, and they tell them how to handle money and, and, and finances in, in a right way. The, 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 the way that the world thinks is who do you think that you are? You have nothing, you don't have a business. You don't have money. You don't have any, I mean, you're not business savvy. You're not business minded. Who are you to tell me how to handle money? I mean, I've got the money. I know how to handle the money. Um, And so that's a little bit where the Pharisees were coming from. They were coming from this place of loftiness and saying, this guy, I mean, he's a poor carpenter. Trying to be this teacher and trying to tell us how we're supposed to have a relationship with money and how we're supposed to deal with money. So they ridiculed him. And so his response is this. Look at verse 15. And he said unto them, "You are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an is abomination in the sight of God." It's not very popular to call people out like that. It's not very popular to confront somebody to their face about where they're at. And again, he could do this because he was God in the flesh. He could tell them where they were off in their heart, where they were wrong. He could do that because he was God. But he says, look, you're trying to justify yourself before men. But God knows your heart. And you're you're esteeming things that mankind esteems. And it's an abomination to God. See, man's ways, man's way is in opposition to God. And that's point number one this morning. Man's way is in opposition to God. See, the Bible tells us that uh, before we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, mankind, ourselves, we are enemies of God. Our flesh is set at a, a host, in, in a hostile relationship with Almighty God because He's holy and we are sinners. We're born in sin and conceived in iniquity. Uh, that's what the Bible says, and so we are set apart from God, and so for mankind to think that he can have a way in himself, in his own wisdom, in his own, in his own uh, will, that can be acceptable to God, or that works for God, is foolish, and, 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 and it's, uh, it's futile, the Bible says, because again, man's way is in opposition to God. We stand at polar ends of the spiritual spectrum whenever uh, our life comes into being. Matter of fact, Romans chapter 5 verse 10 says very clearly, For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Again, the Bible describes us before Christ as enemies of God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12, that at that time ye were without Christ. Listen, before you were with Christ, he's telling the Ephesian believers, you are aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, as in, but now in Christ Jesus, who were sometimes afar were off, made nigh by the blood of Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works or sinful works, yet now has, has he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Back in Romans chapter 8, verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's a hostile enemy of God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Did you hear that? The Bible describes us, again, before a relationship with Christ, before his blood washes us, before all of our sins are forgiven under the, the blood of Christ, Before this relationship we have with God, man, by himself, is in complete opposition to God. There's nothing we can say, there's nothing we can do that can please God, that is acceptable to God. There's nothing in ourselves that works for a holy God, because we're in in opposition. It says very clearly that the flesh cannot please God. The flesh cannot please God. Isaiah chapter 55 describes God's ways compared to our ways. It says this in verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, it's not only God's way, but his wisdom. And that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says as well. It says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God, if God could be weak, which he can't, but the, 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 the weakness of God is stronger than man. So we as the people of God, if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the truth is this, we still can fall victim of the wrong heart set and the wrong mindset. Uh, you may be here today and you, you say, I know I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you may be one of those people that, are, that has the wrong heart set, the wrong mindset, sitting here in a church service even. In our lives, we can begin, even as Christians, to rationalize and make decisions that sound good to us, but aren't at all God's will, aren't at all in God's Word, not according to God's ways. But they sound really good to us, and we can dress them up, and we can even try to make them sound spiritual, even grabbing things from God's Word, not in the right context and not using them rightly, but we can try to justify ourselves or try to justify our mindset and our heart set our decisions but that's futile as well see when we do things like that when you and i as a child of god begin to try to say i know this may not be right i know this may be i know that god may not be pleased with this 100 percent." but god's a forgiving god god's a gracious god god's a merciful god God's a loving God. God God will understand. I mean, I do all this other stuff where I'm like this in all these other areas, but in this decision or in this area, surely God, his grace will cover me. We make decisions or try to excuse our decisions like that. We do a couple things in that heart set and in that mindset. Number one, we make our own standard apart from God. We make our own standard apart from God. See, when we go like that, when we make decisions like that, or our hearts like that, or our minds like that, or we we try to excuse what we're doing or what we're not doing that's pleasing to God, when we do that, we're making a standard for ourselves. And and the Bible describes this back, and even in the Ten Commandments, as pretty much making a graven image uh, to ourselves. We've now formed a God because God's not pleased with this. We've made a God that we can worship and serve that pleases us. And how many times do we do that? But if it's not that that we do, when we make these decisions to have this heart and mindset, it's the second thing. We misuse or we abuse the grace and the mercy of God. The grace that was given so freely to give us salvation, uh, to pardon our sins, to, to, to give us right standing with God, to justify us, this amazing grace. Again, grace is this, unmerited favor. God saying, you are sinners what you deserve is punishment for your sins, but me and my love and in my grace, because of my love and grace, I'm going to come to this earth and I'm going to die in your place and I'm going to pay for your sin, things that you could never do for yourself, I'm going to do for you so that you can have eternal life, so that you don't have to pay for your sins in, in the lake of fire for all of eternity. I'm going to do that. You didn't do You didn't do anything to gain it. You didn't do anything to deserve it. But I'm gonna do anyways God's grace and so when we say I know God may not like this I know this may but you know what God's grace is amazing. God's mercy can cover me I believe that God will forgive me even if I do this God will still forgive me Misusing and abusing the grace and, and mercy of God That's not why he gave his grace. That's not why we have his mercy It's to make decisions that please us and then bank on God giving us that grace and mercy. That's not why he gave us that grace and mercy. That's not why we have liberty in Christ. Matter of fact, in Galatians, it says, use not this liberty as an occasion to the flesh or to to do something to please the flesh, but by love serve one another. We, We are given the amazing freedom in Christ, the grace and the mercy to serve him because we couldn't do it before we had a relationship with him. We couldn't please God. Remember, the the Bible says the flesh cannot please God. So without the grace and mercy, without the forgiveness, without the salvation, we can do nothing to please God. But when we get saved and we have his grace and mercy and we have his righteousness and his blood covenants, we once and for all in a reconciled relationship with our creator can do things that are pleasing to him because of him, because of the spirit. And so let's not misuse and abuse the the grace and mercy of God. And you say, what exactly are you talking about? Here, maybe a couple instances, maybe you've heard or maybe you've said. I know in my Christian life, unfortunately, this is not boasting, this is a, a, a sad thing. There have been times that I've said these things. Things like this. It's not a big deal if you just blank one time. Or it's not a big deal if you just blank every now and then. You can fill in the blank. Who says it's not a big deal? Unless you have scripture to say that, then now, again, you've made that standard apart from God's standard. Well, it's not a big deal if I don't. Or, maybe you're talking to someone else, maybe they've asked you, or you're telling them, and you're saying, well, you don't have to blank all the time. Did God say that? again not using some scripture out of context but is that what god's standard is so what exactly you mean well you don't have to blank every service you don't have to actually give money you don't have to actually witness yourself i mean you could just we could go on and on and on but there there are things that in our in our lives even as christians when 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 we say I don't want to do this. And that's what it boils down to. If we, let's just be honest with God and honest with ourselves because that's what's in our heart. If there's something that is God's standard and what pleases God, and then there's something in our life that we don't want to do, even if it's God's standard, or what God's will is, what God's word is, if it's something we don't want to do, we, many times, exactly like the Pharisees, willing to justify themselves before God, Jesus said. Many times we simply say, I don't think it's a big deal if I, or God will forgive me if I don't. Or God's mercy and his grace, man, it's not why it's there. It's not why we have his grace a mercy. Again, we can plug in so many different things. I've also heard this before and I wanna say, don't give this counsel to someone if you're a child of God. And if someone tells you this if you're a child of God, Refuse it. But it's this. Just follow your heart. It sounds really good. It, 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 sounds, it, it, sound, it sounds really good. And I've even heard parents say that to their kids. You know, sweetie, just follow your heart. No. Don't follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. The Bible says very clearly that our heart can't be trusted. Our human heart can't be trusted. Our, our fleshly Nature, the heart that, that, that is, is, is uh, driving us in our life, our emotions, the seat of our emotions, are all the, it can't be trusted. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says it very clearly. It says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It goes on, it says God is the one that can know the heart. God is the one that tries the heart. And so if someone says, if you say, you know, I'm really battling whether whether I should do this or whether I should, should not do this or whether I should make this decision or make, not make this decision, don't go with just follow your heart. No. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but with everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. The Bible says that the, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and that we can either walk in the spirit or we can walk in the flesh. My counsel to anybody who's saying, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that. It also says this, there's a peace that passes understanding. It says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. In other words, let it sit as a governor in your heart. If you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you, then you've experienced peace with God. And there's no doubt in our walk, we can experience the peace of God. And so whenever you're trying to decide what you're supposed to do, whether you're supposed to do this, or supposed to do that, or not do this, or sit still, wait on God. Pray and seek God's face. I feel like I'm getting an answer. I'm praying and seeking God's face. Then Jesus, at one point in time, when they brought someone to be healed to him, the disciples couldn't heal him. He says, this faith doesn't happen except through prayer and fasting. If you need a next level of of desperation in your prayer life with God, consider fasting, praying, God, give me me clarity. Give give me something. I, I need to know what I'm supposed to do. But don't ever just follow your own heart. Don't do that. Because you, know, you and I know what happens when we do that. Man, we can get messed up in our emotions. You know, our, our emotions are, are, are hot and cold depending on our circumstances, right? Similar to uh, uh, happiness happiness is dependent upon circumstances, joy comes from the Lord. Two different things. Our emotions can rise and fall. I mean, you, can, you know, literally, an emotion can go from really, really high in the same conversation, in the same day, in the same circumstance, and go from really, really high to really, really low. And so what if you made a decision based on a really, really high, while my heart is really beating towards this, my heart is really pulling me towards this direction, and then within the same situation, your heart plummets to the bottom. Oh, no. Maybe I shouldn't have made that decision. That's what happens. That's why it's important for us to seek God's will. When we step outside of God's word, outside of his his will, and make decisions based on our heart, based on our wisdom, or even based on the wisdom of the world, again, we move into that same area of the Pharisees. Remember, Jesus pronounced woes on them even talks about their ways being an abomination to God. So we need to ensure that our lives as the children of God, we need to make sure that our lives match up with His way, His word. Not not man's way, not man's word, not man's will, not the world's, because all of that is set against God. But this leads to the next point in verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. And it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away, than one tittle of the law to fail. So what in the world? Why would he go from what he was telling those Pharisees there that they were trying to justify themselves uh, before God and and, and now he's saying something about the law and the prophets were until now and, and, and until John, but now the kingdom of God is being preached and every man is trying to force himself into it. It's very clear. Point number two is this, that man's work is insufficient for God. Man's work is insufficient for God. Jesus was saying that the Law and Prophets, again, were up until the time of John the Baptist. And at that time, the good news of the kingdom of God began to be preached. The Lamb of God, who taketh away the sins of the world, had come to die in man's place, to to pay man's penalty once and for all, one sacrifice for all mankind, so that man could enter the kingdom of God by God's grace. See, the Pharisees were the epitome of man's attempt to enter the kingdom of God by himself. Man saying, listen, I'm as good as the next person, or I'm not as bad as that person. The Pharisees were the epitome of mankind trying to force themselves in to God's eternal kingdom. But Jesus said, despite the good news being preached, that God had come, that God had made a way, that God had in his grace opened the door, that Jesus himself was the door to eternal life. There were people that were still trying to force their own way into the kingdom of God through their works. But we have to understand our works, again, going back to the fleshly nature before Christ, our works, our effort in a sinful state, think about that, an effort in a sinful state will always be insufficient for a holy God. If you are in a sin state and there is a holy God, there's nothing. Even in our relationship with God, when we have a relationship through faith in Jesus Christ and, we, and, and His blood covers us and His righteousness is over us and we have open access to God the Father, even in that situation, when sin creeps in, what happens? Not our relationship ends, but our fellowship is blocked. When sin is in our life as, as a child of God, Yes, we still have a relationship with him. Yes, yes, we still are going to go to heaven. But our fellowship with him and, and his relationship with us is, and our relationship with him is hindered when sin is there. But again, there's no way that mankind could ever do anything. We could never do anything in our own accord, in our own will, according to our own desire. We could never do anything in any way as sinners. That would be sufficient for God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 verse 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. Sinners. Romans chapter 3 verse 10. Who is a sinner? The Bible says as as it is written there is none righteous no not one. In verse uh, chapter 12 I mean verse 12 it says there is none that doeth good no not one. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Isaiah chapter 64, so what is our sin? What is our iniquity? So what does what, what our life without Jesus Christ's righteousness on us look like? What does our unrighteousness look like? It says in verse 6, but we are all as an unclean thing. And all our, un- all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind, have taken us away. See, despite the fact that the Pharisees were trying to justify themselves before God, despite the fact that they were trying to do whatever they could do to get in their way, what they thought was the right way, it was futile. Because the only work that glorifies God for, for, from any mankind, from, from any man, comes from a sincere heart that has been washed. By the blood of Jesus. That's the only works that God sees as acceptable and pleasing. And again, that only happens when we place our faith in Jesus Christ alone. Surrendering our all to him. There's many people today that are still trying to do things that please God. That in in their effort and their mindset is this. I'm hoping to do enough good that God will one day say, Okay, I'll let you go to heaven. You did enough good. No. In a sin state, there's no good. There's none that are righteous. There's none that doeth good. All the righteousness that we could ever have in a sin state is as filthy rags. So there's no one who could ever do enough work in their own strength to be pleasing to God, to to be sufficient for God. All of man's work is insufficient for God. All of it. So when we have a relationship with him, and we do those works from a sincere heart, that's the fruit, the Bible says, that brings God glory and brings him praise. But as an example of the Pharisees' misuse and abuse of the law, their efforts to do things their own way, an example of of where they were really missing the boat was our last point. So that he said, look, you're trying to justify yourself before men, and you're, you're missing it. Know, he said, know this, there's not one point of the law that's going to pass away. Every single jot and tittle, every single one of them is, is right and true, and you've got to understand that, and you're missing the boat. The Pharisees were missing the boat, trying to justify themselves, trying to do things their own way. And so, as a, again, as an example, he says this in verse 18. Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. Say, whoa. So he went, I mean, he went from telling the Pharisees that they're trying to justify themselves and that they're, you know, it's, it's an, you know, what's esteemed before man is an abomination to God, that um, there's not one point of the, the law that's going to pass away. The kingdom of God has been preached that it's by grace through faith alone, yet men are trying to force themselves into the kingdom of God through their own works. So... Man's justification is insufficient before God. His his works in a sin state is insufficient before God. So now why does he bring up marriage? Why does he bring up divorce and marriage? Why why right here? Well, point number three is this, and we'll, we'll, we'll see why. Marriage's worth is indisputable to God. Marriage's worth is indisputable to God. So Jesus had to address this a couple times with the Pharisees. It's interesting that he had to address this issue of marriage and divorce and adultery with the Pharisees. The reason why is it's, it's understood that many of them, based on their questions and based on uh, research, had a view that you could just divorce for whatever reason. They had a very loose view of divorce. That a man could just put away his wife if he didn't want her anymore. Or that he... if if, if they didn't, get, they didn't work things out, or things just weren't working well, or they didn't get along, or they had grown apart, or whatever reason. They just put it, whatever reason, and, and, and a man could put it away his wife. And so their perspective on God's word and the worth of marriage was skewed. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this in verse 31, It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. That's what he said, look, this is what y'all say. This is what your culture is. This is what the acceptable standard is for y'all. He said, this, it's been said. Look what he says in verse 33. But I say to you, God in the flesh, I say that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving, except for the cause of fornication, which is indulging in sexual um, uh, action or, or activity outside of marriage, causeth her to commit adultery, his wife, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. See, marriage is instituted by God, and it's, in, it's indissolvable. I mean, God is it's a permanent. It's not to be terminated by, by divorce. That's, that's what God's will is. That's, that's what he says. And, and Jesus, as he walked this earth, gave this exception clause, if you will. Unless there's marital unfaithfulness, the Pharisees thought that they could justify themselves before God by just putting away their wives and then justifying and saying, listen, this is the reason why and uh, it's, it's okay. And Jesus was saying, as God, I'm saying it's not okay to do that. Matthew chapter 19, again, as I said, he had addressed this a couple times with the Pharisees. It says this in verse 3, the Pharisees also Came unto him, tempting him. They were trying to, to catch him in something. And they said unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause or for any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read? <laughs> I mean, they're supposed to be the experts in the law, right? He said, Don't you know what the, the word of God says? And he, said, and he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. Amen. Male and female. Period. That's God's design. That's the way that God intended it that's the only way that it is everything else is aside from the plan of god in a sin that's what the bible says but he says and for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they too they twain shall be one flesh one flesh that that's what he says that's, that's what you know you've heard from the beginning. God designed it from the beginning one man, one woman, forever. Period. That's God's design. And so he goes on and says, Wherefore well, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together as one flesh, let not man put asunder. But they said unto him, Why, why did Moses then command to give a writing of a divorcement and to put her away? Here we go. Here's that that, that religious misuse of the law that that even many today, we go back to what we were saying a while ago, when people say, I don't think God really has a problem with this, or I think God will understand, or God will forgive, or God will understand, or God's mercy and God's grace. Many people try to stand on that leg, and look, Jesus says this. He said to them, Moses, because the hardness of your hearts allowed you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So he very clearly says, listen, God has a will and God has a way. And then man has a will and man has a way. And he said the only reason why Moses gave the the, the writing of divorcement was because of man's ways. Because of man's hearts. Because of man's will. God's wasn't that way. That's not God's will. It's not God's way. But then he goes on and gives the teaching. He says, And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marryeth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. And his disciples said unto him, If the case of the man be so with his wife, it's good, it is, it is not good to marry. <laughs> Do you hear what it says? Again, it was, a, it was, a, it was the way it was then. and unfortunately it is the way it is today people are just doing away with marriages for whatever reason that if they want to that's the way it happens i would no longer get on we're not friends we're not uh we don't love each other whatever it comes along that's the way it is in our society today and again so the teaching is still relevant jesus says listen god's will is very clear his word is very clear marriage is to be indissoluble, indissoluble. Religious leaders of the day, though, weren't living according to God's will. Weren't living according to God's word. Yet trying to justify themselves before God. Attempting to enter the kingdom of God their way, not God's. And in the process, leading many people astray. He pronounced a woe on them back in Luke chapter 11. If you were here, you remember verse 52. He says, Woe well, unto you, lo- lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge, and you entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in you hindered. Mac- Matthew chapter 23 says in verse 13, Woe well, unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of, uh, of heaven against men, and you don't go in yourselves. Neither suffer ye them that are entering in to go in. He says, You're blocking by your living outside of the will of god you're living in the flesh living justifying yourselves before god and before men you are blocking you're keeping others from entering in the kingdom of god because of your sin the truth is this i i'm extremely saddened over the destruction of marriages because of sin today it's heartbreaking and our church is not exempt from it no church is no marriage is See, all of us could be one sin away from the enemy destroying our marriages. All of us. Let's be clear sin is destructive. It destroys lives, it destroys marriages, it destroys homes, it destroys churches, it destroys nations. can't play with sin and not get burned. If you get burned, learn from that. Maybe you're here and you say, I, I'm, I have learned. I, I have I've sinned not only in my life, but also in my marriage, and it's. I, I've, I've been burned. I've been hurt. I know the sting of it. I know the, the destruction of it. And I want to encourage you and challenge you. Learn from that. Don't jump back into to something else. Don't jump from one sin to another sin. Because Jesus tells us very clearly that marriage has worth, it has value. Sex has worth, it has value. Inside of marriage only, that's where it's beautiful, that's where it's blessed, that's what it was created for God, by God for. So this morning, let's not be guilty like the Pharisees of minimizing the value of sin. I mean, the value of marriage? To suit our sin. Let's not be guilty like the Pharisees in in minimizing God's word and God's way just to do something we want to do. If you're married this morning, guard your marriage. Guard your marriage. Don't let sin creep in with everything in you. And if you're not married this morning, you're here and you're single divorced guard yourself and don't let sin consume you there either and satan's looking to do the same thing whether we're married or unmarried he's coming to see he's coming to kill still and destroy that's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour sin is destructive let's not buy the lie that it's not so Maybe you're a husband and there's some things in your life and, and you're struggling with it. You're being pulled a certain way. Or maybe you're a wife and you're struggling and, and, and being tempted in certain areas. Or maybe you're a single person here and, and you're being pulled and tempted in a certain way. Listen, it's not worth it. Don't buy the lie that sin isn't destructive. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Listen, a godly marriage, as the musicians make their way, is a great testimony both to the lost and to other Christians. The Pharisees were trying to justify themselves before God. They were trying to do things their own way. They were trying to, 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 to make their own way, live their own life. And and, and the example of them missing the mark greatly was this area of them not valuing marriage the way they were supposed to, disregarding it. And it serves as as, as reminders for us today. We can't do that. Man's way is in opposition to God. Man's work is insufficient for God. And the reminder that marriage's is worth is indisputable to God. It's so important. I'm going to encourage you this morning. Maybe you say, Man, I, this was hard. I, I've, I've been divorced. I, or maybe I've been divorced, I've been remarried. And it's not fun to hear these things. It's not. But you know what it is to experience. The hurt, the destruction that comes along with the sin. And as I said while well, I want to encourage you to know that and to remember that, to learn from that and to not continue. Uh, and you say, well, the, the, the problem in, in my, was not my problem. I'm not saying it was, but just learn from the destruction that happened because it, maybe it was the other one, maybe the other partner. Learn from that. And don't, don't let sin be in your life as, as a divorced person. Don't let sin be in your life as a single person because you know what it did to your marriage. You know the destruction that had. Don't, don't let it exist in your life. Let's all make sure that we're not trying to live a life making our own standards, doing things that are right in our own eyes, doing things that are right according to our heart, trying to justify our lives before God whenever we're not in the will of God living according to the word of God. Let's just, if we're a child of God, let's just yield our lives to him and let's live sincere, obedient lives to God and the Bible says that it's not going to be without hurt or heartache it says that there's going to still be trials and valleys that will probably be persecuted if we live godly in this present all those things but Jesus promised this that he would always be with us no matter what in all of it and that it would all be worth it that even the trials the struggles we face in this present world wouldn't compare to the blessings that he has in store for us in the, in the eternal kingdom of God to come. So let's just be there. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you're married and you're struggling in your marriage. Maybe you know husband, wife, there's a sin in your life that, that could be destructive to your marriage. Man, come today and confess and repent it before God. Turn away from it before it destroys your marriage. Let's make sure that we're doing everything we can do. And lastly, as I said in the beginning, if you're here and you're not sure about heaven or hell, you're not sure about, uh, you, you heard that God came to the earth, you heard that he died in your place, he paid for your sin, you heard that man's way can't get you to heaven, you heard that Jesus in his grace is the only way, if you've never surrendered your life to that, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ for salvation, then I'm begging you, I'm begging you, To come to this altar today. We'll have some men that'll be able to show you in God's word even more than what we said today. And they'll be able to take you in private, won't embarrass you, won't make a scene of you, but be able to show you, and you can make a decision for yourself before you leave this place. Do I want to continue down this path that I might go to hell? Or and and I'm telling you, if you don't have Jesus, you are going to hell. And only say that because of love. Or are you going to walk out of this place making a decision to trust Christ knowing that heaven's going to be your home? So whatever, whatever the case is, I, I just want to ask you to come. Let the Holy Spirit lead you and respond accordingly. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your word and the teachings in your word, Lord. We thank you for uh, the reminders that there's nothing that we can do in ourselves without your righteousness, without the power of your Holy Spirit in us. We can't do anything in our own works that are pleasing to you. Lord, it's only with your righteousness, only because of your spirit, only because of your grace that we can do anything that pleases you. And it's only inside of a relationship that we can do those things, Lord. And so help us to remember that. Help us also to remember that there's no place for us to try to justify our own lives, do our own things. Uh, There's there's no place for that, Lord. Um, Your word is very clear and we can either follow it or, or not follow it. We can either obey it or disobey it. God, help us be those that are sincerely trying to obey it, not trying to be like the religious Pharisees doing what we want to do and excusing it in whatever way that we can. Lord, help us remember the greatest example of that is to value marriage. But realize that you said in your word what you want it to be. Help us to guard our marriages. Help us to preserve something sacred that you, you started. and Help us guard against sin in our lives, whether we're married or single. Lord, just have your way now in this invitation. We'll praise you for it in Jesus' name.